the Glassy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Flora. Since we're at the peak of summer, we thought this week would be great to look at a category that has blown up in beauty, sunscreen. Gone are the days when options were limited to a handful of brands like Coppertone and Hawaiian Tropic. We've seen a massive number of hip new sunscreen brands hitting the market and positioning themselves in the skincare space. This week, I talked to the founders of Dune Sun Care, Emily Doyle and May Kwok. We talked about their colorful branding, their embrace of branded music playlists, May is a highly sought after DJ, the intersection between SPF and skincare, updates on the brand's funding, and mineral versus chemical ingredients. Here's the interview. Emily and May, thank you for being here. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you for having me. be here. <laughs> So Dune is just over a year old now, right? And you launched at the height of summer last year, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. So let's start by talking about each of your backgrounds, what you were doing before you got into sun care. May, you're a DJ and a surfer, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, I am. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I'll I'll kick it off. Yeah. So I'm known as a DJ, um, a surfer, traveler, um, but also because I'm a New Yorker. I am the ultimate hustler, so I was also always working a full-time job. I started my career in fashion, uh, PR and marketing, then went into experiential marketing, uh, more on the event side of things. So I was a production director for a few experiential agencies, um, such as The Gathery, um, Nikki and Luigi, I call them my mom and dad, um, (laughs) taught me so much about the industry and marketing and being detailed and uh, bringing beautiful experiences to life. This has come very in handy for us as she is basically <laughs> like the operations machine for Dune today. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I started my career actually in advertising at BBDO. Um, I went straight out of college to Atlanta to work at the BBDO Atlanta location down the street from AT&T, which was my client at the time. Um, I worked for about a year and a half with all the best creatives, copywriters, producers. I had such an incredible experience there, but knew very quickly um, at at an opportune time in the middle of uh, a very deep recession that I wanted to pick up and take on an unpaid internship in New York City and sell my car for a profit, which I did. So my dad couldn't be that disappointed with me that I turned down. (laughs) I quit a paying job to take on an unpaid internship in one of the most expensive cities in America. Um, But I worked actually the Montclair flash mob in Grand Central Station uh, the Sunday after I moved to New York City and um, worked like a bulldog for three months to find a full-time position ended up landing a job at a high-end jewelry company called Judith Rick on the corporate side, working under the VP of Global Communications. She had really kind of impressive uh, jobs previously at the likes of Condé Nast, Gucci, LVMH, and I still to this day attribute her as one of my main mentors. She's a total killer. Um, so I was there for about four years. Um, during the middle of the recession, we had to pivot to try to figure out ways to keep the company afloat. Uh, We melted down one of our safes. We ended up launching the KVC business. So that was really kind of my first step into understanding how the business side of business um, and how to problem solve. 
and also work with kind of the C-suite employees, you know, CEO, CFO, COO. Um, so at a very young age, in my early 20s, I got that integral experience, which catapulted my career working alongside a number of different designers in fashion. Uh, the last amazing designer I worked for, who I still love today, is Mara Hoffman. Um, she had been in business for, I believe, about 12 years and had called me one Saturday morning and said, I either want to completely close down shop or flip the business to hold sustainability at the core. So we did exactly that. Um, you know, severed ties with existing factories, worked with new ones, initiated new partnerships with different brands that align more with our mission, um, you know, launched corporate responsibility programs to educate the teams on how to be, you know, conscious and ways in which we could tackle the various different layers of how to be sustainable. Um, and the biggest revenue driver into the business that I spearheaded was the licensee collaboration division launched uh, successful collaborations with Swell Bottle with the launch for Activewear line. And then a, my favorite deal, which is a two-year deal with Sephora, and actually um, built the first clean beauty line with Sephora. It was a two-year deal. We were in the front of every What's Hot Now box in U.S. and Canada. So that was then my like real kind of firsthand experience in the beauty space. Um, I've been a lifelong lover of... Um, Skincare, I've been obsessed with how to perfect my skin, even at a really young age. Um, after school, I would go to the bathroom and apply all these different potions. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I helped as a partner in a digital magazine. I also started my own consulting business, PR marketing, 360 branding, launching new markets, helping to relaunch businesses from the inside out. So again, really got that like amazing business experience. Uh, before starting Dune with May. So how did you guys both meet? What is the genesis of the brand story? <laughs> well, um, we actually met on a walkthrough in LA. Um, as I mentioned, I was the production director for The Gathering. Um, I was scouting locations for uh, Sophia Amoruso's Girl Boss rallies. Um, and Emily was my contact uh, at Skylight, and she was consulting for The Row, which is a huge property in downtown LA. It newly opened, and you know it was an exciting space for us to look at. Um, so I flew over there, and we met, and you know we hit it off. And I kind of chimed in her ear that I was thinking about moving to LA. And you know, three months later, I like packed my bags and. Moved down the street. And, I, and yeah, and then I never left. <laughs> She's missing out a really integral part, which is that we had been orbiting around one another for years in New York. And I always knew her as this like hot, cool DJ. And <laughs> so the last party that I went to in New York City two days before I moved to LA was the CFDA nominee party. And May was the DJ. I, you know, working in PR in New York, I'd always seen May on all the lists. Um, and so when I saw her email pop into my inbox, when I was overseeing, you know, really events and operations for this district in downtown LA, my immediate response was, are you May Kwok, the DJ, who's also <laughs> now the production director of one of the biggest, like most famous conferences, like all female-led conferences in, in the country, Girlboss, uh, Girlboss Rally. And she's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I kind of do it all. And she she does. <laughs> she's dipped her hands. She's very modest, but she's 
had her hand, hands in a lot of different, really fun entrepreneurial projects. Oh, wow. So, May, do you still DJ now? Uh, yes, I do. You know, I my clients are, you know, fashion, lifestyle, brands, you know, hospitality, travel groups. So, you know, there's special events, which don't take too much of my time. Um, but, you know, this network of clients ha- has been very helpful for us as a business as well. I've been able to kind of integrate these two things together. Um, like last year um, when we launched, you know, we, I got booked to DJ a Amazon summer event. We ended up, you know, gifting to the VIP bags and then that just gener- generates more brand exposure. So it's been really fun integrating the both. And also music is such a great you know, pillar of our brand. You know, Emily loves music. We have um, Dune Tunes a quarterly playlist that we release every, you know, a couple times a year. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's been really fun. Who doesn't like to listen to music when they're applying sunscreen? I mean, it all is, it's in the easiest marriage and it's the best little, yeah. like, <laughs> little brand surprise when people order from our website, they get a little mailer insert that includes a QR code that links to Dune Tunes. So it's like, enjoy some tunes <laughs> on us. And people are like, what is this like amazing playlist that we get in addition to our purchase? So we try to have a lot of fun in that way with our branding across the board. What's on your playlist this summer? Oh my gosh. You <laughs> have so many you have songs. So many good songs on it. It's all the way from like old school classics to like disco to some like weirdo newbies um (laughs) loving uh Remy Wolf is like one of my favorite new artists um oh my god it's it's really like everywhere rap hip-hop everything (laughs) it's a real smorg of all genres you'll have to check it out totally it's something you can play at the beach Yes. yes, definitely at the beach. If you're hosting a little pool party, it's 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 chill, but it's fun. So what was the conversation like coming up with the concept of the brand? What were your earlier memories of sunscreen? And how did you talk about how to come up with a concept for a new sunscreen brand? Oh, that's such a fun question. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it's such a good point. We all have been, if we had responsible parents or responsible people ourselves, you know, we were putting sunscreen on since for the majority of our life lifespan. Um, and the experience for us growing up was that there were these like gloppy white lotion formulas that were just so uncomfortable to wear. We joke on our website under our story drop down that we just wanted to build sandcastles in peace. And we had like our, our moms running after us trying to slather this like pasty white stuff on that just felt awful and stuck to everything. Um, So for us, like innovation was really paramount. Um, We say you can do like all the gimmicky marketing and uh, cool branding under the sun. But at the end of the day, you're going to build a a really core um, loyal customer base with innovative formulas that everyone really just falls in love with. Um, So that was that was the first thing we really wanted to tackle Um, we broke the sunscreen category out into two sectors. So you have the mass brands like the Copper Tones, the Banana Boats, the Hawaiian Tropics, the Neutrogenas of the world. And then we have the second bucket, which is really specialty, more modern brands. So we'll say like the Super Goops, the Coolas, the Sunbums of the world. And really what we are identifying as the main hole 
was, you know, really innovative, clear gel sunscreens that were fully inclusive and clear on all skin tones. Um, so innovation and formula, two for one products that offered clinically proven skincare benefits. Why not infuse, you know, your sun care with amazing clinicals that will not just protect your skin, but also perfect your skin. We wanted to speak to a universal audience. So as wide an audience as possible, because sun care is not marginalized. It's critical for everyone to wear every day year round no matter where they are or how dark their skin tone. We are finding that a lot of the brands spoke predominantly to women, for example. And we said, that does not make sense. We love our women, but like that does not make sense in this category at all. So, you know, we've really capitalized on shooting a really wide range of subjects in our, you know, marketing campaigns uh, we infuse humor in our tone to speak to as wide an audience as possible, particularly men. Um, we also have a signature scent that is sea salt. We were really tired of like banana and coconut fragrances from when we were kids and wanted to innovate there as well. So we joke that our sea salt fragrance smells like a frickin' ocean breeze. There's there's the humor. Are you laughing? I'm just kidding. Um, and we also saw a main pillar as accessibility, which is the, what the mass market really did well and where they found really the most success in the entire category. So accessibility was a main pillar for the brand um, in both retail distribution. We knew wholesale was going to be a main play for us. Convenience is key in sun care. Everyone's shopping for sun care in closest proximity to their house, the beach, the pool, wherever they're traveling to. So we knew we needed to be in as many doors as possible. And the second was price point. So we wanted to create the highest quality products that were, you know, packed with amazing two-for-one benefits and everything is priced below $30. So you're getting an incredible bang for your buck. The last point I'll make there is that we offer above average product offering in our component sizes. So you get a lot of product for a really good price point. Yeah. Tell me about the positioning because we've seen this huge boom in new skincare brands with sunscreen these days, positioning themselves as skincare. And then like you said, there's kind of the old school approach of more of a sport going out in the sun, going to the beach kind of branding. So what did you decide to focus on? Do you consider yourself to be a skincare brand? What do you, what do you focus on for the branding? Actually, no. We consider ourselves to be a sun care brand. Um, we are creating SPF products that are, that are infused with amazing good for you skincare benefits. So, you know, I think, for example, like when we talk to investors, they see the whole category as like there's so many SPS, SPF options available for the consumer to buy. Whereas we see the category as actually really tiny comparatively to, say, the beauty and skincare space. And the reason being is because in America, SPF is considered an OTC product. So you have to go through extensive and rigorous testing to be able to be compliant against FDA guidelines, unlike beauty and skincare, unless it has an SPF claim. So from that perspective, you know, it's really time consuming and really expensive to start to start an SBF product from zero. 
for us, you know, we solicited the help of our lab as our first partner um, into the business straight out of the gate. And it took us about a year and a half and over a hundred experiments in the life cycle development to get to final formulations before, you know, we landed on our on our final formulas, which is a really, really long time. You can feasibly build a sun care a skincare product, for example, in three months with a lab and bring it to market. And you know, you don't have to pay for all the supplemental fees that are associated with testing that can be upwards of you know, 15, 20, 25K plus plus, especially if you have clinicals. Um, for us, we our launch collection tells 72-hour hydration. It's the biggest hydration claim in the world in skincare. Um, no other sun care brand in the space offers that. Uh, so that is a huge, like, main point of difference for us. Everything doubles as your best daily moisturizer. The Mud Guard, which is our number one seller, is clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles, dark spots, and redness. It's non-cabinogenic, so it's great on acne-prone skin. It won't clog pores. You know, PETA-certified, vegan, cruelty-free, Beoria-certified, non-GMO, reef-friendly, paraben-free, non like all the things. They're just really like high-quality, good-for-you products. Yeah, and I would like to add that, you know, we see sun care and SPF as the number one beauty item on the market. Like you can buy reactive products to, you know, like your $100 serums and, and everything. We love but, those too. Yeah, I think we'll be more, yeah, we love <laughs> those too, but it's not as like beneficial as, you know, wearing sunscreen every day. Yeah, sunscreen, to that point, it's sunscreen's the only preventative in skincare. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can buy like a $10 white lotion SPF from CVS. It's 100% more effective at keeping you looking, we joke in our investor deck, for example, <laughs> keeping you looking young and hot plus the whole health <laughs> side of it as well, um, then your $300 serum from Neiman Marcus. No dig at Neiman Marcus. We give you all of our business, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's it's the truth. And the younger generation seems to be so much more aware of yes. sunscreen as preventative skincare than we were. Have you noticed that on the brand side? Oh my gosh, yes. It's such a good point. And especially as to bring it back to the original, to the question a few questions ago regarding being pretty much lifelong users of sunscreen, there just wasn't the same kind of education growing up. I mean, I remember May is so much darker skin than I am and really has a hard time burning. I'm the opposite. I'm like an <laughs> Irish lassie who is super fair skinned and freckly. I would just torch my skin at the beach. I would apply one time and then run away from my mom all day so she she wouldn't slather the rest on me. And I'd come home a lobster. And I wish, you know, I knew the importance of wearing sunscreen for A, the vanity side and B, the health side. Um, it's, it's so critical uh, to wear every day, even if it's cloudy outside, even if it's the winter time, I mean, people get even more burned sometimes on the slopes with the sun reflecting off the snow than they do even in the summertime. Um, it all really comes down to UVA, UVB levels, uh, which it can be hot and summery and uh, the UV levels could be lower that day than the day before. So you should always be looking at that, by the way. Um, so I think it really is just so um, important to be wearing sunscreen from that perspective. And the customer now is obsessed with what they're putting on their skin. Uh, you think about 
the beauty industry and uh, beauty services that have just blown up. The amount of money that's being poured into Botox and laser treatments and all the number of skincare products and beauty products on the market that that people at a young age are really investing in. Um, they are beginning to understand the importance of wearing sunscreen at a really young age um, for, for both those main reasons. So it's yeah. really been helpful for us in guiding our brand story and how we're marketing ourselves and, and, and what platforms we're utilizing to tell our story. Yeah. And yes, I am a darker <laughs> toned uh, Asian woman. Um, and, you know, I did the whole thing. I tanned, I get dark. I was like, oh, I don't get burned. So like, I should be okay. Um, that's not the case. You know, as dark as your skin is, you should still be wearing sunscreen. Yes. Um, I don't think cancer discriminates. <laughs> There's definitely like a lesser percentage. But like, I think um, I my my story I wanted to tell is we should all be wearing sunscreen as dark as our skin is. Yeah, there's melanoma has risen to be the leading cause of cancer deaths in the U.S. Sorry, that's really dark, but it's true. And so it is like the health, the health importance of it is is really, really real. So you guys are in beauty retailers. You're in Ulta Beauty. What are you thinking for retail strategy? Are you seeing the most demand through the beauty retailers? Are you planning on going into big box or a pharmacy? Yeah, we are currently in big box. Um, you know, we launched last June 8th. So we just celebrated our one year anniversary. Hard to believe. We sit in over 700 doors today, um, only one year post-launch. So we've been, we've been busy. But as I mentioned before, we really knew the play here was wholesale to lean into the accessibility story. Um, so we launched D2C first and then quickly, May and I really wanted to move into high-end specialty boutiques, uh, surf shops, hotels, which is a really big um, channel for us and great opportunity for a marketing pers- from a marketing perspective and a sales perspective, uh, as well as grocers. So we kind of like started running and introducing ourselves to those like local kind of boutiques that we really coveted in and around Venice and Malibu. Um, and then quickly, you know, when we were traveling to New York, we would run to our friends and see if they would pick us up. May, during COVID, took up a six-month uh, part-time consulting gig with Ian Schrager as his head of um, entertainment and culture at Public Hotels, which is actually where we held our launch party. Um, full circle, we love that. Love working with our friends. Um, but they ended up picking the li- picking up the line. And um, so, you know, we offered industrial size pumps of our bod guard that we positioned at beach huts, swim cabanas, and then ski lodges during the winter season. And that was amazing for us because it allowed the customers with weekly turnover at these places to test the product. So when they tested the product, they really fell in love with it. And then they were hooked. Uh, we also were offering product in the gift shop as well as at the mini bar. A lot of people don't want to pack their sunscreen because they don't want to check a bag or they forget. Uh, so it's such a lifesaver when it's sitting inside their hotel room. It's an easy, no-brainer, grab-and-go purchase that is applied to the back end of your invoice when you check out. And it's like a quick 24 bucks. That's like a, a few coffees at a nice hotel. So we partnered with like your favorite, most uh, boutique coastal hotels 
immediately. And then also your big conglomerate, um, kind of higher end hotels like the Four Seasons and uh, Ritz-Carlton's of the world. Uh, from there, actually pre-launch, we had a conversation with uh, Brian Lee, who is the co-founder of Honest Company and also just like a CPG genius. We were connected to him through a mutual friend and he advised that we go directly to Amazon. He's like, it will not deter big box retailers from taking you on. Try to go to Amazon right away. It's, it's like the unavoidable beast. So we rushed to set ourselves up in advance of Black Friday, Cyber Monday, uh, last November. And then we quickly moved into big box launching Omnichannel in November with Urban Outfitters. A few weeks later, we are one of three brands featured in the cash assortment with Blue Mercury sitting at the front of all their major doors across the U.S. A few weeks after that, we launched in 550 Ulta doors nationwide as well as online. We were selected to be one of eight brands featured in their Sparked assortment. So you will see really cool tower, dune towers um, at the front of all their major doors um, starting mid-August, as well as on the Sparked end caps. May and I just got back from Chicago where we met 1,200 of their employees <laughs> in person, which is a lot of fun. We love the Ulta team. It's just like such a joy to work with, obviously all being from the Midwest, the, the nicest group of people you've ever worked with. And then over the last month, we launched in, on anthropology.com, freepeople.com, FP, FP Movement, Com, their athletic sector. And last Saturday, we launched Omnichannel with Goop, Gwyneth Paltrow's company. So it's been, um, <laughs> we've been busy. We've been busy. <laughs> like, um, We're also a two woman <laughs> band still to this day, which people are pretty shocked by. We work with some amazing partners that help us with every corner of the business, but May and I are still today the only two full-time employees on the business, which is where we've been able to be really lean and utilize our resources exactly where we need to apply them um, and then lean on marketing partnerships to really um, give us that great positioning in market this early on, one year in. Wow, that's wild that it's only two of you with all of this scaling. Yeah, tell me about the scaling and the expansion. Are you doing fundraising to support this scaling or how are you approaching funding? Yeah, so we opened a pre-seed round about six months prior launch. We did a, a friends and family round. Um, we ended up coming in oversubscribed and closing in about a month and a half. So it was a it was a real tease in advance of opening our first institutional round uh, about six months later, two months prior to launch. Um, so that, you know, that was, we've learned a lot in that experience. We obviously have much different conversations that we're bringing to initial conversations that we have now revisited, um, you know, a year later. But we are... Thankfully, thankfully, it looks like we're about to close pretty soon in the next few weeks here. Um, and that will really just set us up to start hiring the appropriate team members, work on future innovation for next year's SKUs, which we're really excited about and presenting to our retailers as early as next month, which is crazy. Um and yeah, really, like we're, we're putting a lot of muscle right now, money muscle behind marketing initiatives. 
So this will run in a few weeks. What details can we share about the funding? Is it VC, private equity, angel? What what are you going with? Yeah, so it's a mix of angel and institutional. So we secured our first institutional partner last September. Um, it's funny, we have, I don't know how this happened. It was like totally coincidence, but it's been really helpful for us on the hotel hotel partnership front, actually. Um, a number of our investors are like real estate tycoons, which is, so we're like the black sheep in their portfolio. And it's funny, I think a number of them were like, hey, we're just going to be silent. We believe in you guys as founders. We believe in what you're building and we love the product. So we're going to give you, write you a check. Um, those people have since eaten their words because I'm pretty sure they call, we're like on constant text with our investors. We are constantly sending photos to one another, sharing updates. They are so ecstatic to be involved with this. We're like their, their one-off CPG brand that they're just so thrilled to be a part of and their family's fallen in love with it too. And they've just had such a good time tracking our success. And for May and myself, it's been so um, humbling to be with such a supportive group and moreover motivating. Which real estate tycoons? <laughs> we have the Fisher family, uh, a number of Fisher family members involved. We have the family fund and then we have Kyle Fisher, who's just like, I believe he sits on the board of something Navy and not him. He's just like an absolute genius when it comes to understanding everything from like finance to retail to operations. Um, so we're thrilled he's he's gotten behind us. Uh, we have a few um, a few others um, that are really like, oh, gosh, how do I? It's they're. They're real estate investors in restaurants and real estate investors on a commercial level. Um, and some like great hotel partnerships have come from that as well. It's so interesting to hear about the hospitality opportunity because it seems like hospitality hasn't maybe recognized sunscreen as much in the past compared to lotion and toiletries and that sort of thing. So I wanted to talk about branding, especially. Did you want to talk about how you differentiate yourself branding-wise compared to all of these sunscreens entering the market? What was the discussion like around the design, target age group? What what was that like? So the branding, um, we knew we really wanted a clean aesthetic. You know, we both love, you know, really clean brands such as like Saturday's New York, um, a surf shop uh, in New York City. Friend uh, Morgan is a friend of ours. Um, and we worked with the uh, Javis Lens Studio, which is uh, the design studio that worked on Saturday's. Um, and the benchmarks that we gave was it needed to be unisex. It needed to be clean. We love the surfboard aesthetic, but also we wanted to give a nod to nostalgia. So, you know, which is what why we chose our drug oval bottle. Kind of gives you that old copper tone um, nostalgic. And, you know, our neon kind of dune sign is also very retro. And um, he, hit, he nailed it, um, hit it out of the park. And we love it. And Everyone that sees it is so enticed by the bottle and the and the colorways, and um, we've really innovated. It's 
in this category. Yeah, there is. We're we're so you know I I did a lot of art growing up, and I was like sitting at my sketchbook drawing different logos and showing them to the team. I'm like. I'm trying to describe it to you. You don't understand what I'm saying. Let me just like try to, I was like creating the word dune that looked like an actual dune and um, sending like photographs from my sketchbook. Um, And in terms of the colorways, we knew we wanted to infuse blue as our main color. We just called it dune blue. I can't even begin to like tell you how many swatches of blue we looked at. Um, we wanted something, we were pulling like Justa is this great recipe. You obviously know Justa living in LA, but Justa has this like beautiful blue, almost like a Grecian blue that looks so clean and crisp against a white. So we are like, this is going to be our hero, which is now what like our bodyguard is. It's different from the Justa blue, but it like is iterated from the Justa blue. Um, I was taking pictures of like trucks that were passing me on the highway that had a, a color blue that I liked. Like it was a full obsession. And then the rest of the colorways, the lifeguard, you know, we've obviously had a lot of fun with naming our products. Um, being, we love puns over in the world of Dune as well. The lifeguard is our miracle rescue aloe gel. Um, so we wanted to play into lifeguard and bring nostalgic um, back through that color by way of like Baywatch red. So we brought that inspired the lifeguard color hue um, but each one of our colors in our launch collection is named sea, sand, sky, and sunset. <laughs> so they also have all, as you notice, alliter- have alliteration. So that is how obsessed we were down to every last detail to ensure that all of it told like a very kind of clear, distinctive brand story. And what about marketing? What are your top social channels and what kind of age demographic are you looking at? Is it for millennials, Gen Z? Oh, that's such a good question. Actually, when we started our fundraise, we were meeting with a ton of BC groups um, prior to launch. And the predominant number of them said, you know, who are you speaking to? You can really like you have to stay in your lane. You have to pick one generation either or two. You have to be like Gen Z millennial or Um, you can speak really mainly to women. And we said, absolutely not. Like, we're going to stick to our guns here. We want to speak to as wide an audience as possible for all the reasons I mentioned earlier. Um, And so, you know, we've tried to, we we worked with a number of different photographers, all friends. Uh, But our first marketing campaign, we actually shot with Christian Hogstead, who I worked with uh, when I was, kind of like a founding member of a digital magazine that Aaron Walsh spearheaded, the famous stylist, celebrity stylist, and Phoebe DeCrisay, who was actually at Vogue as the editorial director for a number of years. Um, And I was kind of overseeing the whole marketing part of the magazine. Um, Christian was just such an incredible photographer, particularly in portrait. So we brought him in. I think we cast a hundred people in my living room from young kids with red hair and freckly skin to 85 year old uh, retired male surfers from Venice Beach um, and everyone in between. So we've really, um, 
we tried to lean into speaking to as many people as possible. Um, I mentioned before, too, we really like thought we could lean into humor. May and I are really attracted to the brands like Liquid Death and Slim Jim and several others that really just we think hone that um, that comedic appeal that really take them over the edge. Um, I think that's where they found so much success is by way of really like nailing the humor aspect in their tone. Um, and yeah, just, I mean, marketing for us is, there's so many different layers to it. I mean, we have, um, I can't remember like how many Instagram followers we have today. Instagram, we, we utilize really as a platform to tell our brand stories. So the second someone shares the name of a brand, the person's running to Instagram to see what the brand is. Um, so we're not as hyperly focused on, you know, we push ads on, on Meta and Google, but we're, we're more focused on like ensuring that our tone is consistent. We really try to captivate our audience through like beautiful photography, uh, which was a really big opportunity for us against some of our competitors in the space, to be honest. Um, and, uh, you know, we're pushing, you know, digital newsletter, SMS is about to launch. Um, we have um, on the brand side, you know, May and I obviously have experiential marketing backgrounds. We've really like done amazing partnerships with the likes of H&M as a Coachella takeover um, at like a celebrity house. Uh, we just worked with Google who brought the Bodguard to 1,200 guests um, in their latest I.O. event, um, Amazon Studios. We've worked with a number of different magazines, celebrities. We Surf Lodge has sponsored us during Snow Lodge. And then now this summer, we're doing something with them next week. So we've really like tapped into our network uh, to hit different audiences through cross-category partnership. We're also really focused on like community building, um, grassroots efforts. You know, we've um, partnered with Surfrider for like uh, beach cleanups and um, we'll continue that, you know, partnership and um, really wanted to like lean into like organic marketing efforts as well. Um, we just were passionate about, you know, our environment and world and, you know, taking care of each other. Um, so we wanted to put that forward as well. So if we're talking about Instagram, we definitely want to talk about threads. It's been the talk of the uh, internet in the past oh 24 God. hours. No, you- not another one. <laughs> I know. I actually joined personally like half an what? hour ago just to like try it out. Um, I'm I'm going to look into this. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's gosh, I know we're like already we talk about TikTok all the time because TikTok is so important, particularly for skincare brands, because as you mentioned, Liz, like everyone's obsessed with what ingredients they're putting on their skin. They want to know about the why behind how the product is going to make them better. (laughs) So TikTok is an amazing platform (laughs) for that reason. Um, But it's just like, because it's the two of us, I mean, we're working on every morning, it's the same conversation. It's, you know, we're up working at like seven it's like, all right, what what Instagram post are we putting up? What's the correlating caption? And then we're like jumping on an investor call an hour later. So we're in everything in between. So for us, we're like another plat threads. I'm like, no, it's so daunting. 
<laughs> another social media platform, but we'll probably do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to manage, as you can imagine, for a two-woman uh, show. <laughs> You know, I've taken on the graphic designer role as well. You know, like we we work together on social media. I guess now I'm going to look into threads for us. But uh, um, hey, you're going to crush threads for us. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, to everyone out there, we need to close our round. We need to hire. <laughs> well, well, you guys launched Dune in the pre-Elon era for Twitter, right? So so did you have a time um, where the, was the brand on Twitter at all kind of before Elon took it over? Honestly, no. I love Twitter to get news in real time, but honestly, it's, it's I don't know uh, if it's that, I don't have enough data to speak from an educated perspective on this, but my feeling as, as a customer of other things is that I'm not going to Twitter to learn about the opinions of like a fashion company as a way to buy like a floral dress. Um, I, I'm getting my news from a brand through Instagram, not TikTok, but like I would if I was a, I was a devoted TikToker. Um I only have the bandwidth for one, personally. But um, yeah, I just like, I, I don't know, it's particularly in the sun care space, if like Twitter is a platform that we necessarily need to put time and focus and money into. Got it. But then with the Instagram audience on threads, do you think that has more potential? I'm going to say yes, just because I played around with it some more. And I love how, in, like, it's obviously the same company so it's like very integrated um but yeah i have to keep trying it out to give you more educated (laughs) no it exploded last night so i we've been up and working so i think i need to to give you educated feedback liz i think i need to actually (laughs) like spend time on it and do some discovery work this is going to be hilarious because this podcast episode is evergreen and we're going to go back to this in like five years and threads is going to be the only that, thing yeah, exactly. that people use. <laughs> and we're talking, to, we're talking about it like Pamela Anderson and Tommy did when they discovered the World Wide Web in the 90s. It's like <laughs> such a funny, like these things just end up taking over. I mean, I remember when TikTok launched and I was like, oh, this isn't going to be a thing. And it is like, it is such a thing. <laughs> yeah you're aging us Emily <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> yeah I mean you mentioned the discussion of skincare on TikTok let's talk about sunscreen ingredients so are you guys mineral only or where do you fall on the kind of whole mineral versus chemical ingredient discussion yeah so our launch collection um offers two OTC products, the Bodguard and the Mudguard. The Lifeguard is a post-sun that uses like amazing antioxidant-rich inactive ingredients. Um, But um, that collection has uh, clean chemical SPX actives. We just launched our first mineral skew called the Mineral Melt. We actually worked with a group of board-certified doctors um, who developed it for the last three years. And um, it's an incredibly special formula that uses a proprietary uh, microdispersion technology, uh, which 
allows it to be the sheerest mineral sunscreen in the U.S. market. Um, it also helps block against infrared, blue light, UVA, UVB rays. Um, it's packed with youth-promoting peptides. It helps with collagen reproduction. It's like the bomb product in mineral. We're so proud uh, to have brought that to market as our most recent launch. Um, but, you know, we're kind of, we, we were really considerate about the actives that we use. Uh, we work with some of the best researchers and scientists and chemists to give us, um, you know, kind of behind the scenes information as to what is really impacting the environment or human ingestion um, when it's absorbed or what the product is doing for um, your body, if it's kind of like absorbs into your bloodstream. Um, all of our actives are non-toxic. Um, there is actually no evidence that mineral is better for you, believe it or not, than these actives uh, for yourself and for the environment um, and vice versa. So um, as far as we are concerned, we are kind of following protocol and on top of, we're kind of ahead of the curve when it comes to learning as much as humanly possible about these ingredients and what they're doing for people and in the world, um, and are also researching what new actives may be coming out. There's one current SPF filter that is uh, in production that hasn't hit the market yet. So that should be an interesting one uh, to maybe formulate with in a year plus time. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear all of the buzz about sunscreen online. It's such a hot button topic, especially among <laughs> skinfluencers for so many different reasons. What about um, the mineral conversation with regards to white cast? What, what is the technology at with that, with mineral? You kind of mentioned sheer. Is there still a white cast? Where, where is the technology at there? Yeah, so it's a proprietary formula. Our, 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 um, the doctors who developed it used a, they call it, we're calling it a microdispersion technology. So it's allowing the mineral, which in its natural form is a white powdery substance, which is why when you infuse, you know, titanium dioxide and zinc into um, a mineral sunscreen, most of those sunscreens will come out as a pasty white formula that leaves a white cast on most, if not all, skin tones. Ours is different because of the technology that we use, which allows that ingredient to be as thin, almost on a nano level as possible. So it is completely sheer on all skin tones. Um, and that's really how we're differentiated in this space. Goop was like such a... We were so honored to, to be launching with Goop because they actually heavily vet all inky codes. They review, um, they review everything really meticulously and they're hyper-focused on your ingredient story um, and how they fit within their criteria. So once we launched with Goop, we were checking out our product, our PDP page and under the product description, they actually say in the first line that this is the sheerest mineral sunscreen that we sell. 
And I think May and I both shed a tear in that moment because um, (laughs) for us to be able to do that within a year's time was a huge feat for the brand, obviously creating innovative products, but to create an innovative product on that level that also like really leans heavily into our inclusion story was, was like probably the biggest win of the year. We have really exciting mineral SKUs <laughs> uh, that we're actually rolling out in future years as well. So we're launching uh, new categories as early as next spring. We may be rolling into skin tone inclusive beauty, iterating off of our current mineral melt formula, maybe with a higher SVF filter, um, as well as a really exciting launch um, that's percolating in the baby space in 2025. Wow. So you guys are looking way ahead. Yeah. I wanted to wrap (laughs) up. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to wrap up by talking about, yeah, what's next for the brand. What can you tell us about launches? What can we share? Oh my goodness. I mean, we are showing all of our newness for next year to current retail partners at the end. Oh my gosh. We're already in July at the end of this month. Holy moly. Um, So for us, we have to be, as I mentioned, you know, it takes about a year and a half to start a product from zero, um, at least with the testing. Um, So we are already starting on production for SKUs that we're launching in two years from now, um, which is kind of crazy. If you saw our bedroom closets, they're like stacked to the gills with all these different product samples that we're reviewing. It's hilarious. We're total product junkies. (laughs) Um, In terms of expansions with, on the retail front, um, the hope is that we really make our retailers super happy. And the conversation is that we grow with them into further doors and, um, you know, continue to nurture those relationships and really satiate their customer bases. Um, we also are talking to some new retailers uh, for potentially some exciting new launches as early as next spring. So um, we're accelerating weekly in terms of our our kind of like regional growth into those really cool niche boutiques that we all love and, and enjoy visiting. Uh, but yeah, we're just continuing our accessibility story as much as we can on the on the retail front. Well, we will stay tuned for what's next. And May and Emily, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us, Liz. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, this is great. Thanks for tuning into the Glassy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. See you next week.